I'm Max Kerman. I normally sing in a band called Arkells, but today I'll be reading a story by Peter Rosenthal in the third installment of a series we'll call A Story I Like. Peter worked as a mathematician at the University of Toronto, but these stories are from his legal career, where he worked as a social justice lawyer. From the 1970s to today, Peter's been involved in a variety of cases, mostly representing groups that are disenfranchised and lacking political power. Peter and his cohorts have made it their mission to raise awareness and seek justice for the voiceless. The causes that Peter championed are timeless. The struggles that communities face today might look a little different, but the heart of these matters remain the same. Simply, there are some groups that are born into privilege and enjoy a certain kind of power and mobility, and there are some groups that struggle for an equal shot at a decent life. These articles, in one way or another, are about struggle and protest. Peter has participated in all kinds of rallies, protests, and happenings, and court cases over the years. The first installment of A Story I Like describes how the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty staged a funny and unexpected protest at a supermarket involving grocery store coupons. The second installment is about his friend and colleague Charlie Roach, who at a protest refused to swear the oath of allegiance to the Queen of England, as is required in becoming a Canadian citizen. Both stories represent tactical acts that were born out of the principle that we should all be treated humanely and equal. You can find both of those episodes in the Mike on Much feed. I've always loved this next story, and I asked Peter to write about it. There are two things about this story that stick out to me. The first is, uh, given the events of the past week at the U.S. Capitol, the story feels almost quaint. There's a gamesmanship and strategy involved in attracting attention to any particular cause. And good organizers have a sense of purpose with explicit goals. In many ways, it's a creative endeavor, and people like Peter have to think quickly on their feet about what their next move will be. Above all, there must be a level of decency and courtesy displayed by both sides, especially in the heat of the moment. The second, and this is important to the larger point, is that you need a cast of honest actors who are willing to occupy the various seats at the table for a functional democracy to work. You need politicians and bureaucrats to create some kind of a system for communities to thrive, and you need folks like Peter to demand better and hold them accountable. None of these jobs are particularly easy, and each has its own set of challenges, but they're all important. And history has shown that progress happens when the folks in charge truly listen, and the way they listen is sometimes to show up, hold a banner, and make a speech. Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Me by Peter Rosenthal. The above picture tells part of the story, but more than a thousand words are required to complete it. That's me behind the lectern pointing. To my right, looking up at me, is a man named John Roberts. To his right, Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau, facing downwards and holding his hand to his forehead. Here's what's going on. It was in Toronto on the evening of February 17th, 1977, in an enormous ballroom at the Sheridan Centre Hotel. The Liberal Party had organized a huge gathering to celebrate a new immigration bill. The Prime Minister and many members of his cabinet, some of whom are shown in the picture sitting behind the Prime Minister, 
were in attendance, as were a number of other members of parliament. The organizers had sent invitations to thousands of people and to hundreds of organizations. Each invitation would admit two people. I do not remember what the invitations said, but they were phrased in a way that suggested that there would be a relatively small gathering with the prime minister. At the time, I was a member of an organization called the Committee Against Racism. We felt that aspects of the immigration bill were very unfair to immigrants. In particular, the bill contained provisions that allowed immigrants who were not citizens to be deported if they were merely found to, quote, be likely to commit a criminal offense. Surprisingly, the Committee Against Racism received an invitation to attend the gathering. That illustrates the fact that the organizers of the event cast the net very widely to ensure that there'd be a very large turnout. We decided that two of our members would use the invitation to enter the ballroom. Someone in our group made a banner that was about six feet long and about three feet high that said, in two rows written in very large letters, Kill Immigration Bill, Committee Against Racism. The plan was to unfurl the banner at some point while Trudeau was speaking. We expected that the police officers and or security guards would quickly grab the banner and escort the banner holders out of the ballroom. We realized that there was a possibility of criminal charges being laid, but we felt that that was very unlikely. We hoped that reporters would interview the banner holders and give them the opportunity to publicize our concerns about the immigration bill. Two of our members were lawyers with expertise in immigration law, Charlie Roach and Mike Smith. They agreed to unfurl the banner. The Committee Against Racism also organized a demonstration in front of the entrance to the hotel that people with invitations were directed to. About 50 of us, including me, marched in a circle, waving placards and handing out leaflets to people who were attending the event. At first, people with invitations entered without any difficulty. Fairly quickly, however, the line of people waiting for admission became quite long and slow-moving. After about half an hour, the line was at a standstill. Shortly after that, several police officers came out to announce that the ballroom was full and no one else would be admitted. A number of people waiting in line became very angry. They waved their invitations and shouted. Some of them were dressed in suits, and I even saw a couple of people who were wearing tuxedos. I think that at least a few of them had expected to meet the prime minister. Fortunately, Charlie and Mike had arrived at the hotel very early and had gotten in without any problem. The banner was folded on Charlie's chest under his vest. It was cold outside. A little after the time when no more people were being admitted, we ended our demonstration. I decided I would see if I could talk myself in. Why not give it a try? I got through the disgruntled people who were still standing sort of in line by saying many times, sorry, but my wife is in there. I have to get to her. When I got to the officers who were blocking the entrance, I said, sorry, but my wife is in there and I have to find her. She has our invitation. They let me in. When I entered the ballroom, I saw a huge crowd, media reports later said thousands, standing packed together. Straight in front of me, I saw a stage with many people sitting on it. I was able to recognize Prime Minister Trudeau, but not anyone else. Someone was giving a speech. I wasn't going to look for my wife, she wasn't there, but I wanted to find Charlie and Mike. I stood looking around for several minutes. Then I saw them. They were on another stage, a stage that was against the side wall to my left. That stage was packed with people who were standing very close together. Mike and Charlie were on the front of that stage. I slowly made my way through the crowd and I got to Mike and Charlie. 
After another speaker finished, John Roberts introduced Prime Minister Trudeau. Trudeau was loudly applauded as he went to the lectern. He began his speech. A few minutes later, Charlie and Mike nodded to each other. Then Charlie produced the banner and passed one end of it to Mike, and they unfurled it. The three of us were very anxious, wondering what would happen. Nothing much happened. A few people behind or near us tried to see what was on the banner. But Trudeau continued speaking, and only perhaps a dozen of the thousands of people in the ballroom were even aware that anything was going on. About five minutes later, I said to Charlie and Mike, I'm going to shout something, okay? They nodded their acquiescence. Trudeau said something positive about immigrants. When he paused for a second, I shouted as loudly as I could, and I could shout quite loudly in those days, then why are you increasing deportations? Virtually everyone in the ballroom looked towards our banner, including Trudeau. He said something like, there's somebody who has a problem with the government. He shouts from the sidelines, but is afraid to come up here and face us. I yelled back, okay, I'll come up there. It took quite a while for me to make my way through the dense crowd. Trudeau continued his speech. Most of those members of the audience that I passed seemed to be amused. When I arrived next to the stage on which Trudeau was speaking, an RCMP officer told me, wait here. A few minutes later, the officer said, okay. And I walked up the stairs onto the stage. As I was doing so, the officer said, we're watching you, Peter. I conjecture that I was known to the RCMP because of my participation in a number of left-wing activities and, in particular, because of my having been arrested while protesting the U.S. war against Vietnam. I also conjecture that the officer used my name because he felt that I might somehow be restrained by the knowledge that they knew who I was. I stood at the corner of the stage while Trudeau kept speaking. He glanced over at me a few times. I think he wanted to make sure I wouldn't attack him. I looked out at the large crowd. They were looking at me and smiling in anticipation of some bizarre happening. In retrospect, I find it hard to understand why I was not thinking at all about what I would say when I got to the podium. I just kept scanning the crowd, enjoying their amusement. Strangely, I did not feel nervous. I was just determined. After a few more minutes, Trudeau gestured in my direction and said to the crowd, Oh yes, we have somebody who has a problem with the government. Maybe he has an immigration problem. Trudeau pointed towards someone sitting on the stage and he said, If so, the Minister of Immigration is right here to deal with it. Trudeau continued as he indicated someone else in a chair on the stage. Maybe he has a transportation problem. If so, the Minister of Transportation is also here. The Prime Minister then said, Maybe he has a legal problem. Unfortunately, the Attorney General is not here this evening, but we do have the RCMP. I laughed along with most of the crowd. Trudeau then returned to his seat and I walked to the lectern. As I arrived there, John Roberts came up to me and said, how much time do you want? I replied, give me five minutes. Mr. Roberts scowled and went back to his seat. I pointed towards our banner. That is the instant that was immortalized in the above picture. I said into the microphone, do you see that sign over there? It says, Kill Immigration Bill, Committee Against Racism. I want to tell you why we're carrying that sign. When I reconstruct the events, I realize that my only plan had been that my shouting would draw attention to the banner. That's why I began by pointing to it. 
I then described some of the aspects of the immigration bill. I do not remember the exact words that I said, but the essence was the following. The new immigration bill allows the deportation of non-citizen residents of Canada if they appear likely to commit a crime. They need not have been found guilty of any crime. They do not have to have even been charged with a crime or to be a suspect in an investigation of a crime. In fact, it is not even necessary that any crime had been committed. The person being deported need only be found to appear to be likely to commit a crime. Some hundreds of the thousands of spectators booed. Most people just seemed to be enjoying the show that I was performing. I continued. How do you determine whether a person appears to be likely to commit a crime? For someone to be found guilty of a criminal offense requires proof beyond reasonable doubt that the person committed the offense. What is required to establish that a person is likely to commit a crime? Some people booed. I said, you may like that kind of repression, but I don't. There were some more boos and a little applause. I continued. This immigration bill allows immigration officers to randomly follow and photograph permanent residents of Canada to try to discover some support for finding that the resident appears to be likely to commit an offense. I then said, Prime Minister Trudeau speaks with a forked tongue when? In the middle of my sentence, John Roberts appeared next to me and said, Your five minutes are up. The next day, a reporter who had recorded my speech told me that I had spoken for three minutes and 37 seconds. I said to Mr. Roberts, you have to let me finish my sentence. He replied, your five minutes are up. I said, I'm going to finish my sentence. But then I paused for a few seconds to think of what I should say. How should I finish my sentence? I had said, Trudeau speaks with a forked tongue. I never used that expression, forked tongue, and I had no idea why it occurred to me at that moment. I felt uncomfortable with that phrase, but I also felt stuck with it. I had to finish my sentence. I then continued, Prime Minister Trudeau speaks with a forked tongue when he tells you that this immigration bill provides fair treatment of immigrants. I urge you to review it and then try to convince your member of parliament to oppose some of its provisions. Thousands of people booed and hundreds of people applauded. Most of the crowd just smiled at the spectacle that they were witnessing. I made my way back towards the stairs that I climbed to get on the stage. As I did so, the Prime Minister returned to the lectern and said, The fact that that man was allowed to make his points show that Canada is a free country. You might wonder if someone in the government arranged it, but it was unplanned. I started climbing down the stairs as the Prime Minister began to speak of other things. When I reached the bottom, an RCMP officer pointed as he said to me, go this way, there's an exit behind the stage. I said, I want to go back the way I came. The officer said, it's too dangerous. Some people out there might try to kill you. I replied, don't be ridiculous. And I walked into the crowd. I headed back towards the place where Charlie and Mike were holding the banner. The people in the audience were packed together, but they moved a little out of the way so I could proceed. No one in the crowd expressed any hostility to me. A few people told me that they agreed with me. Many people asked for my autograph. Most of them asked me to sign on their copy of the invitation. As I very slowly made my way, I signed about 100 autographs. I wrote, Kill Immigration Bill, Peter Rosenthal. I eventually reached Charlie and Mike. They were still holding the banner. I said, 
Tough crowd to work. We stayed there until the end of the gathering. A number of other people asked for my autograph. It was about 11 p.m. before I got home. I lay in bed but did not sleep very much or very well. I replayed the event over and over. It seemed fantastic. Did it really happen? Why did I say forked tongue? The morning news made it very clear that it certainly had happened. It was widely reported in the media. That morning, I went to my office in the Department of Mathematics of the University of Toronto. Many of the people who I ran into had heard the news and wanted to chat about it. My 15 minutes of fame is illustrated by the following. That day, a mathematician from Europe was visiting our department to give a seminar talk. He received a check to cover his travel expenses. He wanted to cash the check, so he and I walked to a nearby bank. The check was from the University of Toronto. I assumed that there would not be a problem cashing it. I was wrong. The teller said that she could not cash the check because the visitor did not have an account with the bank. I didn't have an account at that bank either. But I told the teller that I was a University of Toronto professor, and I suggested that that fact should make her comfortable in cashing the University of Toronto check. When she indicated that she could not cash it nonetheless, I asked if I could speak to her supervisor. Her supervisor came over and I explained the situation to him. He listened patiently and then asked, Are you the guy who interrupted Prime Minister Trudeau last night? When I acknowledged that I was, he laughed and asked me a few questions about the incident. He cashed the check. My European colleague was very impressed. I have told this story dozens of times over the years since 1977. Each time I do, including during the writing of this article, I feel somewhat anxious. I cannot understand why I felt no anxiety whatsoever during the time I was confronting the Prime Minister. I guess adrenaline is very powerful. Could an incident like this happen today? Not likely. We do have a Prime Minister Trudeau, but it's Justin, not Pierre. Pierre was quite unorthodox in many ways. It is not so surprising that he would do something like allowing a heckler to come to the podium. It would be very surprising if any other prime minister did the same. In fact, even Pierre Trudeau might be very reluctant to allow a heckler to take the stage at the present time. In the current climate of concern about terrorism, he and his bodyguards would be very worried about the possibility that a heckler might become an assassin. This has been a reading of Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Me by Peter Rosenthal, narrated by Max Kerman. <laughs>